Hello and welcome to Sounding Board. My name is Dan Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. How are you, Mel? I'm okay. Still. I'm in the last week of my teaching semester, mm-hmm. or I'm about to start the last week of my teaching semester. Um, and I am fortunate that I've been given the opportunity to do that mostly from home, which will allow me to quarantine sufficiently that we can safe with a combination of test getting tested can safely spend um, a day or two with my mom for the holidays. It's been kind of a wild week, too. Like, <clears throat> So we didn't record last week. Mm-hmm. Because I had my end-of-the-year recital for all my kids. So we, And you know what? We joked in the, in the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> that I was like, maybe we'll make it work. We didn't make it work. And the main, I think the main thing that pushed me to not. You didn't even say maybe. You just said We'll make it work. And then ended the episode. (laughs) Yeah. I think the main reason why um, I didn't push to try and make it work was because I was so fucking exhausted after the party on Saturday. Oh, my God. Right. Which I think we only talked about because, you know, we talked about it on air because we knew that it was happening, but we didn't really know what it was. And we knew it was very experimental. And we kind of half thought that no one was going to show up. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't think we talked about it that much on the show. But boy, did people show up. It was like 50 people at, at one time. <laughs> yeah. Which me, And there were people that were interested in going that didn't. <clears throat> Turnout was just wild. Sorry that I'm clearing my throat on there. That's, you know. It's, anyway. It's gross. You should be I know. I'm, I'm really embarrassed, actually. Um, but yeah, no. So, um, you know what? Hold on one second. Hello, 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 hello. Testing. One, two, three. Oh, that's much worse. <laughs> don't mind me just casually doing audio we got new um voice screens for the mics mm-hmm. so i'm just trying to figure them out um but the event went very very well um it was a collaboration with denise serna we've had we've interviewed through scopy radio and have actually i think so that she's guested on sounding board actually i think you're right um and she's fantastic uh she worked with um ben moroni at hostile euphoria to put together the the project that mm-hmm. um that this was which was getting all these bands together and and it was so it was that and then my the thing that i was most happy with that i thought was kind of a test to what this could be were all the liminal spaces spaces like um like the smoker's balcony or line for the bathroom that are meant to be spaces that make it feel more like a house party. Places that people could go that Discord, because because of the fact that this Discord specifically makes it so easy to jump from room to room, these became rooms that people could go as even transitional spaces. Right. Where, like, a lot of people were even going, being like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. So, so they waited in line for the bathroom. <laughs> which is funny. To, like, walk away from your computer to go to the bathroom. Which is kind of like, that's the that's also a... Uh, an idea for that room to me too is like this is the afk room basically um but yeah so the whole the whole experience is wild um so in retrospect that's amazing and furthermore we're throwing another one we are indeed um this is a sounding board exclusive yeah because we're not announcing this until wednesday and this is this going up tomorrow mm-hmm. so yeah um we are collaborating with prop theater and doing a New Year's Eve party. Um, and it's going to be bigger and better, question mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's certainly going to be more 
involved, um, which I'm really excited about. Um, oh, no, the radiator whistle. Seriously? That's yeah. the first time I've heard it this year. It was, it's, I don't think it's as intense. It's not obviously. It's not as intense, but what? Well, they were flooded like two years ago. You mean blood? Blood, yeah. Oh my God. If this is a thing, I'm. Oh my God. Okay, whatever. Um. Well, this is flexible. We just, you know, it's cold now. How are you all holding up with the cold? <laughs> Radiators are kicking on. People in basement apartments, if that were a thing, are, are you know, in a basement apartment. Um, so, yeah. So, that went well. We're throwing another one. Um, there will be another sounding board before then, so we can kind of talk about it in a yes. meaningful way then. But I wanted to just kind of like, if you're listening to this, you deserve to... To be, to know. to know, yeah. There's going to be an art. The the thing that's going to be different about like the I guess onboarding process is that um, because we think that there's potential for it to kind of blow up, we're um, doing RSVPs. Yeah. So if you're interested in going, please RSVP. Yeah, the RSVP will be up on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So just keep an eye out for that. Um, cool. Well, let's just get into stuff. Um, I'm going to just ignore the whistling, I guess. Yeah. I mean, what what else are we going to do, you know? I don't think I hear it too much through the mic. I'm not sure. That's good. Um, so, I know one of the things that I wanted to talk about that I just wanted to briefly mention, because I'm not honestly entirely read up on um, all of Biden's cabinet picks, but in these times, does a pretty... Um, did a pretty recently did a pretty scathing kind of take on Biden's uh, cabinet picking priorities. Um, he so it's specifically on what is to be most likely to be the housing, and uh, urban the development. HUD, the HUD secretary, um, and her name is um, Rep. Marsha Fudge. Marsha Fudge, um, and she was being considered for the Agriculture Secretary. Now, so basically, you know, it kind of brings up two schools of thought where um, many are are thinking that the only reason why she was... Well, because it basically, it people, there's a desire on the left to draw this parallel between her... And Ben Carson, because she doesn't have any housing experience specifically. And so, basically, what 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 people on the left are, are raising a finger at, potentially, is, oh, did you just pick her because she's black? Um, which is, which is a thought. Um, that being said, from, even in the, in these Times article... Because um, that's, that's the point they end up eventually making. Um, they point out that her policy is very progressive. She's a supporter of the Green New Deal. Um, she's a supporter for Medicare for All. So, you know, I don't know. I mean... So what is... I guess my question is... So she doesn't have HUD-relevant experience. Did she have agriculture-related experience? Like, what's her background? That's a good question. 
from the um, the limited research that I've done. <laughs> um, it does look like she doesn't. Most of her experience is in law and, and budget and finance. Okay. Um, she studied law in school and sure. then was is a politician. She's a congressperson in Ohio. Okay. Um, she, she might, she might've had like some relevant interest and, and obviously I don't know, like this is the first I've heard her name. Right. Um, so there could be, there could be more under the surface here, but it does basically look like that, um, she's known for being a part of the black caucus. Biden wanted to pick a black woman and I mean, I don't there that case could be made. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying that I don't know. It's kind of a it's almost a little racist to say that <laughs> of like for, for for people on the left like in these times writers like who people that whoever wrote this article honestly <laughs> like I don't know. I I think that it's dual. It's if it's true that there's no real relevant experience there, I don't know. It's it's something to look out for, I guess. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that because we are, I think that with Trump, we kind of all were expecting a lower caliber of cabinet pick across the board just because he is a lower caliber president. Um in that he's a fucking moron. Um, Whereas with Biden, I think that because he's not a fucking moron, that we're holding him to a higher standard, which I think is good because these are the people who make important decisions about our day to day. Um, But uh, I think that the thing with housing, especially for, for leftists is there's so much potential there, you know, like it's been done wrong for so long that, that it's, do you People know if want, in like, the Do you know if in the New Deal when like public housing became a thing if that was done through HUD? I'm pretty sure that was when it was established. Oh really? Yeah. I would go google it cuz I I don't want to google anymore. This sure. we're 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 at a point now where We're just kind of speculating. Yeah. And and I think it's fascinating, but but you if you're interested in this google and honestly, I'm going to keep up with this. I'll, we'll probably update on this cuz I want to talk I've I've been wanting to talk about Biden's cabinet picks for a while. Well, I'll make sure to go and do research and you've already done research and so another week we'll we'll touch on the Biden cabinet picks more in depth. I think that'll be good. Um I want to before we do that though. I, I mean not before we do that. One thing I know I wanted to talk about tonight because I wrote an article about it and it's continuing to kind of get traction is the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers, which is a union that's being formed by musicians that have their music on Spotify. Mhm. Um, and you know, we, we, we wrote an article just kind of explaining what it is. So check that out if you want to. But the thing that I want to kind of talk more about that I find really interesting, especially in this time is this relationship with union, like arts unions. I know you've been talking about it recently too, with people that we know. And I want to kind of flesh out this topic because, you know, one of the things that is happening is you more and more as, uh, working conditions get worse and worse and, and pandemic conditions push for that and things are moving more online and as we continue you know even post pandemic we're going to continue seeing a very a drastic change in the way i mean like for every industry that has been disrupted 
by like an Uber or a DoorDash or an Amazon, where you have all these workers that are essentially contractors that are not organize, able to organize in a way that they would have if they literally had the same, we're all working in the same factory. Mm-hmm. My point is, is that union organizing is completely changing. Um, part of that is because it has to, because it was destroyed so intensely over the last 40 years. But, but furthermore, you know, it's interesting to see things like this happening because it's just true that there is so much wealth being made in music production. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Spotify is one element of that, but without something like this union forming, you know, this union could go on to tackle record label dynamics. We could see representation from this union that essentially tackles the mess that is uh, musicians' rights in streaming software, in every streaming software. Right. No, this has been an issue ever since iTunes came came about. Like, it, like the iTunes being a really aggressive middleman between songwriters and their songs, especially with the advent. Cause it used to be that it used to be that when a, like part of a contract was, Oh, I'll, you know, down or, um, not download th- the money from like CD or record sales will be split contractually between the, the label and the artist but then when you got into like iTunes where you could buy that one John Mayer song for 99 cents and instead of full albums being purchased for $20 you're getting individual sales at 99 cents mm-hmm. and and I think the thing too is that you know it's very easy to go into the tech with this and say like it's like streaming and and but the truth is, is that the contract relationship isn't new. It's just that what this tech has done is amplified it. It's ex- like grown it exponentially, you know, where because like you've been a contractor forever. Yeah. And and a lot of people have, especially musicians, have had the experience of when they do get a job somewhere, it's often as a contractor. Mm-hmm. And just that dynamic alone, you, you lose a lot of your rights with your employer, with, oh, big time. with the industry at large. And, and a big reason so a big reason that my employer was that like you know a you know granted so I was extremely lucky to not have lost my job over the pandemic but a big reason that we were kind of pushed so hard to just like keep going keep going keep going was because my employer didn't qualify for paycheck protection um payments mm-hmm. Because she had no employees. Yeah. Because all of her staff, all of the teachers that work under her are all independent contractors. She wasn't eligible for a lot of these programs that help businesses that have employees. And so as such, and I think that this was the case with a lot of people who work, especially musicians who work in situations where even though they're full-time or close to full-time or making full-time money, but not an actual employee, they were pushed really, really, and continue to be pushed really, really hard to keep status quo as much as possible because their employers 
weren't eligible for employee protection programs. And so situations like this where contractors can be protected somehow, where there's some kind of regulation surrounding arts contractors is becoming more and more essential i think and i and i will say too it's not just i think that when you when we talk about organizing a union in this day and age it comes off very um confrontational with the employer and i think in some cases that's obviously so but i also think it's true that a lot of small businesses and um workers of at small businesses are happy with their job and are happy with their conditions but the the thing about potentially unionizing is when you get to moments of difficulty like what covid has been or really anything in these industries like you know it's silly but it could be like a as beneficial as like some facebook group for voice teachers across the world comparing notes like the thing is, is that there are things that happen in these spaces where, where just building organization that allows for communication between workers, it's huge. It's yeah. huge, and it doesn't have to mean. It, part of it, obviously, is making sure that people aren't taken advantage of by their employers, but it also can very much be just working together as sure independent contractors, but to to make sure that. The, that the work is done as safely and efficiently as possible through different whatever avenue. So I don't know. I, I find that fascinating. I, I also love and and so what? So that's the other. That's the arts side of things. And but on the like on the unioning, like the unionizing side of things, the it's this tech world thing where every industry that has had some disrupting player has completely destabilized swaths of workers that's what happened with that proposition that was in california about um for for uber Uber. drivers where you know (laughs) like there was this huge marketing push for people to basically side with uber but when you get into it and you look at what's what a lot of the workers on the ground are saying and not just what's being peddled Mm-hmm. through whatever platform you're getting that information from. When you talk to workers on the ground, when you talk to, like, organizers at DSA, for example, the whole thing was fucked. And, and it, like, it's it needs to be workers would lose protections. And that's the thing. Anti- it's much more complicated. Honestly, anti-union propaganda has been around for as long as there have been unions. Like, anti-union sentiments and anti-union propaganda is so pervasive that there's an office episode about it like Mm -hmm. so i think that like no wonder there's this there's this stigma and there's this fear because the discussion around how unionizing could potentially collapse your workplace is such is so pervasive it is like that that dialogue unionizing is is painted as this terrifying thing when really it's galvanizing and it's just cementing basic rights yeah yeah do you remember that office episode yeah i do a lot in fact i feel like that for some reason that was like my introduction to 
whenever I watched it when I was younger, actually understanding the office to union dynamic. And like, it's just such a good painting of neoliberalism of, of Jan. Like, yeah, for like those early seasons of the office are actually pretty, I find, I mean, there are sometimes there are parts of the early seasons of the office that I find to be very, um, nice guy. E like Jim Halpert, Pam dynamic sucks. Um, but, um, but yeah, the, for whatever reason, just like workers relations is very fascinating in the office. I'd love to see, read like a, like a meme that is essentially just every episode taken to like through marks or something. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's move on to the next topic. So, and it's, it's a doozy. It's just basically over the weekend, the FDA approved the vaccine. Rollouts have already started. Um, the New York Times reports that 3 million doses of coronavirus vaccine fanned out across the country on Sunday, today, mm-hmm. as hospitals rushed to set up injection sites. It's fucking wild. So, like, what, how, what does that mean? Like, Well, so, I know, at least in Chicago, how it's rolling out is that I think that with Pfizer, Chicago was getting 23,000 units of the vaccine per week. Wow. And first priority is going to healthcare workers, of which there are 400,000. No, wait. 23,000 are getting shipped to Illinois. And there are 400,000 healthcare workers in Illinois. I think it's, I don't, I don't remember fully, but I know that 23,000 units are being shipped and it has to be first distributed to 400,000 400,000 healthcare workers on a weekly basis. The other aspect of this is that this particular vaccine, you get one dose and then you get a second dose a month later. Mm-hmm. And so you get the booster and then you get the second dose. Um and so um Although 23,000 sounds like a lot, it's going to take um, like 16 weeks. That's the thing. All of get, this is so unprecedented. Get, yeah, it's going to take 16 weeks just to get healthcare workers. This is like, what the hell? Let me see if 16 is correct. <laughs> Keep talking. What, like, would happen if there was vaccine development during the bubonic plague? You know? Like, what? Yeah, 17 weeks. What would have happened? Like, the thing is, is that this has never been done before. Rolling out a vaccine this across right, the Right, because the last, time, the last time we had... Because the the first real vaccine campaign was polio. But... And I know, yeah. and um, that was even a tough sell. Um, what was the death toll of polio? Polio was fucking intense. It was a. It was, like, it was really bad. We're at three hundred thousand. I know, but polio polio wasn't like an isolate. Polio was like an issue for generations. Yeah. Um, 
it wasn't as fast moving as this. Although if there were polio outbreaks, it would wreak havoc. But it it would just like pop up in in neighborhoods and basically just like wipe out and basically like kill like twelve kids and then everyone would be like Jesus ah fuck polio. Um. It sounds like the most intense year was 1916, and 6,000 people died from it. Yeah. Um, Not to say... So, I don't know. Obviously, it's fucking terrible. But I guess my point is, is just... My we're point, hinging a lot on the vaccine. Sorry. Yeah. My point is, like, with polio, we essentially cured polio. Right. With... Um, the pervasiveness of that vaccine. Everybody gets the vaccine when they're a kid now. Yeah. It's part of just like the vaccine Melange. bundle. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's just wild to think that this is, this is, it's, we have no idea how this is going to go as far as actually being responsive to, to filling the need that is, this system like like this could take a year or two yeah depending on what happens here because it's like all this stuff has to be manufactured all the vaccines have to be made like right no it's um it's really i think that we're gonna be well and even then it's not a hundred percent effective like we're so we're not I saw a statistic today that the the vaccine we're not going to see the effects of the vaccine until 30% of the population is vaccinated. Yeah, and so basically what people are saying is that the next few weeks are looking to be to continue to get worse. Yeah. Um, oh, big time. And so that's, you know, obviously if you're if you're not already taking it seriously, I'm sure you are if, if you know. If you're listening to us, um, but yeah, so that's, that's one piece. Um, obviously the other piece, and we talked about this so much is Congress, um, and where Congress is at with this, with, not with the vaccine, obviously, but with, with the thing that we've been waiting for since April, which is some level of second level of, of, um, aid, so, as far as our negotiations are between Republicans and Democrats, direct payments are completely off the table. Um, Bernie Sanders is running a campaign with a Republican to push for it to get back on the table. But there's a $900 billion plan. The deadline for that is, the, is this week. And the only reason for that is because federal law has it such that you can only receive, what is it, 13 weeks of unemployment? And they extended that the By CARES 26 Act. Twenty-six weeks. It was essentially it was extended such that December twenty-sixth is the last window that you can claim unemployment. Right. And that's just big. It's like partly baked into the way that unemployment works on a yearly basis, and it's partly from the CARES Act. Um. So basically, you know, when we said last time. Because of the um, the pandemic, additional pandemic aid, that that was the last possible time that they could do something. Well, this is that a hundred times worse. Because if 
there's nothing done, then the law has it such, I think, that people can't reapply for unemployment until March. Yeah. So something has to happen. Something has to happen or there's going to be economic collapse. Something has to happen or there's going to be mass evictions. There's going to be... It's just... We're going to have mass evictions in the middle of winter. So... And it's not like it's going to impact everybody. It's going to impact everybody. We're going to... like. The elderly will be evicted. Middle, you know, everyone, everyone of every age of every class is being impacted by this. And we're just kind of all. I mean, disproportionately, the poor are being impacted. We're all just doing what we can to get through it. You know, but the reality is, is that we were neglected. No one, like, the Congress doesn't give a shit. I think that that's what's most traumatizing about this yeah is that it's planting such deep mistrust in the federal government and like that's going to be an issue for generations people are going people who remember this people in our generation and younger 18 year olds are going to look back on this and be like, yeah, but we were in a global pandemic and our government abandoned us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, it's going to impact any sort of, like, call for tax increase. Because they're going to be like, why? What are they going to do with that money? They're going to argue over it for nine months. It's... <sighs> it's destabilizing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so to come back to what we were talking about before... With no meaningful net in place, um, this it's only going to provide for more economic disparity, even with the vaccine. You know, um, I'm I'm pulling through my next article on this topic, which is from Jacobin, which is about the COVID vaccine and how it, the COVID vaccine and how it needs to be universally available. Um, but and and all evidence is pointing to that it won't be. Yeah. Because in many cases. Um, in in the case of both Pfizer and Moderna's vaccine, the doses, although not approved, well, at the time Pfizer's wasn't, um, at the time of this article, I mean, uh, before they were even approved, 80% of the doses were already claimed by the wealthy, by the wealthy of many different countries, UK, US, EU, Japan, and Canada. And so the thing with vaccines and with COVID is that if it's not universal, if it's not na- like globally, it's not going to be over. And obviously, like this is going to take rolling out. But this, we're, you're talking about like eighty percent for the next year is what Jacobin is reporting. Like that, that we're short of some kind of manufacturing shift and how the like in, in the quantity of vaccine that's produced, we're going to be looking at essentially supply and demand for a vaccine that is, t- we're talking about like th- hundreds of thousands of lives. Yeah. And, you know, that's the system we're in. 
That's the system that, that medicine is in right now, is this capitalist healthcare system. But it's, you know, it's what it is. And, and so I would, I would recommend checking out the Jacobin article if you haven't already. Um, that's, I, I, do you have any other thoughts on, on all this? Yeah, it's, I think that, I think that it's a discussion that I think not a lot of people are considering. I think that people are considering the vaccine as a fix-all, cure-all, once I get a vaccine. Like, I'm seeing this, honestly, a lot on TikTok of, like, what if COVID just went away tomorrow? And it's like, well, do you know how many factors would have to, do you know what would have to go into that for COVID to be cured tomorrow? Like, first of all, no, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. Second of all, like, you know, in order for COVID to happen, basically, we would have to buck capitalism, which is currently running our the the global discussion of the, capitalism is king in this in our world, um, and so it's just I don't know. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just we're just not out of the woods. That's just it. We're just not out of the woods. And and it's the vaccine it's akin is to- the vaccine is not a cure all just because it's not a hundred percent effective, it won't be universally available, and a vaccine is only effective if it's like being used at like 80 per, like by 80 percent of the population or something like that no, no, like 80 percent of, of of the doses have been claimed by the i market. understand that i'm saying that vaccines oh. are only as affected are only as effective as the percentage of the population that has been vaccinated yeah. and so if they're not universally universally available it defeats the purpose now there will be people there will be people who deny the vaccine because they're just anti-vaxxers, propaganda munching monsters. But um, it's like for you know that's their call, <laughs> I guess. But um, what it, what it's going to turn out to be is the combination of people who think that there are that there are computer chips in the vaccine combined with people who just won't be given access to the vaccine. It's not, that's not going to be the end. Woody's getting up on my computer. Yeah. It's akin for me to the, like the whole Biden if Biden wins, we can go back to brunch beam. Just this this thing of that's happening in 2020 with these moments of you know the rise of fascism in America, a pandemic that's killed hundreds of thousands of people. Like this, these things are overwhelming, and and for people who like whose lives have otherwise been pretty much very easy, like it just it just feels like a bump in the road, when in reality we're talking about things that will fundamentally change the course of humanity, or at least the course of this country. It's just, it's just true that post this pandemic, th- things won't be the same. Yeah. Post a Trump presidency, we won't be going back to anything. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, I think that's all I've got to say. Yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much it for me too. Um, yeah. Besides that, do you have anything else you want to let people know about? No. I think I'm good. All right. Well, do I say anything at the end here? No, because we have the outro. All right. See y'all later. We'll see you next week. Bye. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening. I've been Dan Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we're up to, there's so many ways you can do that. You can find the podcast, the one you're listening to right now in most podcast places under Sounding Board. And if you want to keep up with what we're up to, there are a ton of ways you can do that. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr under Scopy Mag. And if you want to join our community, keep in touch with us, find out what we're up to, you can join our Discord server. And the best way to find that is to head to scopymag.com slash Discord. And as always, I'm here to talk about the importance of subscribing. There are two ways that you can subscribe. The first is by contributing monthly for $2 a month. You will receive an email every time we post something. It is the best way to stay up to date on what we're doing because (laughs) Facebook hates us. Uh, The other way that you can give is yearly and that is $20 a year same perks same deal just one lump sum so give a little give a lot and if you can't give then listen participate and share cool thanks again so much for listening go out and make something